Hello and welcome to another episode of Breaking Mayberry, the podcast that's better than you and you know it. I'm one of your hosts, I'm Marty Schneider, and I got a little sneer on that one. It's just tacky, but please, go ahead. (laughs) The other host, Dan Ludwig. And with us today in the studio, I'm very excited, someone we've been trying to have on for a while now, indie wrestler, host of Hey EW on YouTube, backstage interviewer at All Elite Wrestling. From Toronto, Canada, standing six foot two and weighing in at 209 pounds, the Seinfeld savant, the Golden Girls guru, the perfect stranger, (laughs) RJ City. Thank you, and I'm sorry. You won me back with the perfect stranger. <laughs> I thought you would yeah. like that one. Yeah, I apologize now. Where I'm now interested, where did you get my height and weight from? Uh, that is from uh, professionalwrestling.fandom.com. Okay, because depending on where you search, I could be 5'10", I could be 6'4". It really, it really varies because wrestling databases are very reputable. Did he get the right one, or are you trying to cultivate an air of mystery? Don't don't tell us. Yeah, yeah, you want to be unknown. No, I'm happy. I am 6'2". I think I'm a little heavier now than what was listed. Yeah, this this picture is is you a little younger. You kind of look like Antonio Banderas in this picture. Uh, Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) Now? Uh, (laughs) RJ, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, There is a big strange overlap between our fans and wrestling fans especially aew Uh, but one of the reasons we wanted to have you on here is because you're a tv guy you are an entertainment showbiz guy in fact for a while i didn't know that you were a wrestler i knew you as that guy in his underwear that talks about golden girls that's how i prefer it quite frankly (laughs) uh yeah i well i want to congratulate you on your perseverance (laughs) <laughs> how long when was the first time we tweeted uh 2021 and look at us now and here we are so hats off to you um and yeah i i you say that you know this is this cross thing here i don't think the worlds are that different hmm well more on that how so because i was gonna ask well i don't isn't aw in a sense its own mayberry <laughs> i don't know rj is it <laughs> Same setting, right? Most of the time. You know where the entrance is. That's true. You know where the ring is. Same commentary. Like, there's a comfort. The the comfort of Mayberry is that uh, you know everybody, right? Okay, okay. You you have these, like, Uh, consistent parameters and, like, the chaos happens within that. But you know kind of on the outer level what you are getting. Characters do kind of come in and out, but there's always, like, a strong base. Yes. You know. Uh, but even I, even the, on Wednesdays, you'll hear Taz and Excalibur, you know. On Saturdays, you'll hear Nigel. There is a comfort to that. And also, when people show up, like Adam Copeland, it is like when a new person comes to Mayberry. And everyone's like, oh my god. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I, I see why you are such a Golden Girls guy, because I think the comparison is way stronger on Golden Girls. It mm. has that sense of familiarity. But, like, Blanche Duval basically has intro music. Like, and yeah. they d- verbally will, like, throw elbows and shit. Like, it is, there's, like, a much more of, like, a sense of, like, violence to that show. Right. <laughs> Those women I, I, are trying to hurt each other, but at the end of the day, it's going to be okay. Yes. Even if if we take the violence out of it. Because my one complaint about Mayberry is that it's not violent enough. Damn right. Um, they do exist by their own simple rules that are not of modern society. And that also feels like wrestling to me. I think it's also probably the nostalgia factor, right? Mm-hmm. It's pretty, pretty important. Um, like, What role does nostalgia play in what you do in wrestling? I went to a, an AEW taping the other day after not following wrestling for a good two decades, and I still saw the names Rob Van Dam and Hardy Boys and guys that were... So where where does nostalgia come in? Well, even beyond that, inherently in wrestling, I feel like there's a nostalgia to just being able to say, that guy's good and that guy's bad. Mm-hmm. I think there is a simplicity in the storytelling, and sometimes that's a knock, but I'm not saying that right now. Sometimes things are so complicated and, you know, on Real Housewives, everyone is an asshole. And I think it's easier. It's nice to go to wrestling where you just go cheer this guy and boo this guy. That's all you have to do, really. (laughs) And they make it real simple for you. They make it really easy for the crowd. Like, that's one thing I'm impressed with the crowd work. Literally, all you got to do is come out and cheer for or trash local sports team. Right. And and it, you can have the crowd again. Uh, last week, it was right after the Phillies had been eliminated from uh, the playoffs and were not going to the World Series. So that made it real easy. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there were some good bits around that. But there's that. that thing where, like, you know, obviously the, the hardcore fans who watch every week enjoy it deeply every week. But you can go after having not watched regularly for a while or somebody who can never. I feel like if you go to a wrestling show, after, like, two matches, you got it. Even yeah. if you've never seen wrestling before, you know what to do. And, and even, like, the 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 sort of morality play of it, which is, like, they talk about in the episode we're going to talk about, like, it's something that we kind of try to imprint upon, like, other sports. Like, everybody in football is always looking for who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. Is yes. Aaron Rodgers our heel? Can we, like, can we hate him? Can we, like, turn these people into that narrative? Right. And, and yeah. like, every time, I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking of, like, Johnny Damon and the Yankees hating him, which is from, I don't know, 20 years ago. You could just feel the media going, great, we got somebody. I was growing up in Massachusetts when that when all that shit went down. So that was picture. I I went into school and people like tore up pictures of him when he went to the Yankees and shit like that. Like, yes, there was a a, a white hot rage that. As a child, I did not totally understand. And and, and there's there's legitimate like heel face and face heel turns mm-hmm. in in sports in media sure Aaron, dan just mentioned aaron Rodgers. that's a big one yeah right that's a guy who definitely went uh face to heel yeah tom brady's another one nba has a guy named dylan brooks who is leaning into his dylan the villain persona mm-hmm. it's so, nice to just have an environment to cater to those innate urges deep w- with inside us to say that guy's a piece of shit <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so RJ, why then did you build your like your love of sitcoms and your love of let's say classic television, and kind of your whole like Johnny Carson stand up thing? How did you build? That's that? a big <laughs> way of putting it. And this thing, this stand up thing, he does. Like, you, you, you come from like a stand up and, and kind of a background, yeah. And I, so, how did you incorporate that, and when did you start incorporating that into the wrestling persona? I, you know, when you start wrestling and you're new, you do things that you're told, mm-hmm. you know, people mm-hmm. who've been doing it longer are more successful, say so do this. And I was originally in like a tag team that was kind of, I guess, a parody of the rockers, you know, okay. listen to metal and oh, these guys like, I don't know, poison and fine <laughs> for what it was on what? the surface on those, those shows, like great, cute. It wasn't necessarily me. You know, right. I come from the, oh, let's watch some Laurel and Hardy. That Jerry okay, Lewis yeah. movie was fantastic. Have you seen the latest episode of The Rifleman? So, you know, when you get comfortable <laughs> enough with wrestling in general, then you go, okay, I'm going to take a chance and, and do something stupid. And the first thing was sort of sort of singing, sort of like a lounge singer kind of thing. And, and it seemed to work and also be different. On the show, not a lot of people mm-hmm. were singing like your Mario Lanzas. Um, <laughs> so, so then you just go deeper and deeper down that hole of becoming more of, of yourself. And it's a weird, and you guys have heard it, talking about that stuff, mentioning Lawrence Welk is like a dog whistle, but not to racism. You, you draw in your people, right? Like- yes. You, you mentioned the rifleman. You don't really know how hard it is to get people to talk about riflemen. I'm 35 years old, and I have strong opinions on the rifleman. Yes, right? but I and then it's one of those things where it's like you know I'm taking a risk. Going, I'm going to talk about Lawrence Welk. I don't really give a fuck who mm-hmm. wants to. I'm going to talk about it. And then you have people coming up to you. Like I had a guy at at the merch table years ago. Can you sign this Lawrence Welk record? What? <laughs> <laughs> what my grandmother used to watch it we watched it all the time can you sign this so then you find all these people and then you cultivate and people go oh my god it's stuff that they remember but don't talk about i get pictures when people find like jim neighbors records in their grandpa's attics or whatever if you yeah. <laughs> he is like one of the top three thrift store album guys <laughs> yes every jim every neighbors shop has- lawrence welk like johnny mathis my theory yeah. is if you take a Lawrence Welk album out of a thrift store and buy it, if you go back in the store, if you turn around and go back in, there will be another Lawrence Welk album there. At no time <laughs> they is just there respawn. not. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They you have walk to. out and there's like a little popping noise and it just like spawns into reality. Yes. And Jim yeah. Neighbors would just record any any song imaginable. <laughs> Anything. Anything. Yeah. He was certainly not burdened by taste. <laughs> Uh, that certainly explains the role of Gomer. <laughs> oh my god, yes, absolutely. And then to just see this little window of a singing career and go, I'm going to take a run at this. I mean, that was that was kind of a theme on there, was he was kind of like, I'm a classically trained singer, and you've got me playing this hillbilly hayseed, and I'm never going to ever not be this hillbilly hayseed. That was his wrestling persona. He was caught in the... In the in the Gomer Pyle persona, and he right. could never escape it. Uh, and I kind of always felt like he was in there, I went to Juilliard! <laughs> like. And lest we forget, if you've ever been to a Cracker Barrel, Andy Griffith has a few albums under his belt, too. 
He does. Dude. He does. We... And, uh... Have you ever uh, seen A Face in the Crowd? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard... So, the, the song he did for it... It's like, mm. you can only find it on YouTube. I don't even know if it's, like, actually in the album. I think it, like, plays during the credits. But he has a track that is fucking haunting. Like, I have I've shown it to, like, music teachers, and they've been like, where where did you get this? Like, yeah. the, the range that he displays on it is just incredible. Yeah, that's, that's one of those things where you're like, oh, you know, this guy wasn't always, like, a southern half-shitty kind of actor guy. Yeah. <laughs> When when we t- when we talked about a face in the crowd, I said that like if things had broken a little differently, he could have easily been like a rat packer. Yeah, like, he could have sure. hung out with, with Sammy and Frank, and he'd been like the southern one. Yeah, you know that's that's a movie where you go once you see it, you go. I have to let more people know about this. Yeah, because yeah, it also agreed. feels agreed. oddly modern. Yes, in a way, uh, in its tragedy, and also in its shots of of forehead sweat. <laughs> So sweaty, so sweaty. Look, untouched RJ, potential RJ, and, and, in that forehead sweat. As as you know fully well, in the first episode of Cheers, there is a large discussion about uh, what is the sweatiest movie ever made, mm-hmm. and they come up with the answer of Cool Hand Luke. Uh, Rocky Three is also in there. Yeah, I'm gonna say a face in the crowd is in the running. Oh right? yeah, that's a sweaty movie. Aliens, I think, would be my vote. Um, <laughs> I, that doesn't. I don't think that counts as sweat. I think that's mucus discharge. (laughs) And it's also, it was so humid in that spaceship. Yeah. That I find it sort of forced. They have an unfair advantage. (laughs) Right. Fine. It's like doing a movie in a sauna. Fine. Fine. Predator. Is Predator better? Okay. Predator is also a very sweaty movie. Yeah. I (laughs) I think it's also oily. Yeah. Yeah. You know? They they like had to lotion up in between every single take. Not the actors, the characters. They were like, yes. "All right, we got to we got to grease up, boys." Yes. Yeah. What a what a dick measuring contest that entire <laughs> movie is. The the lard budget on that movie must have just been outrageous. That line item must have been so deep. <laughs> RJ, you said before we started recording, you said that there was one Andy Griffith episode that you wanted to talk about. Yes. We're not doing, by the way, by the way, uh, listeners, we're not actually doing Andy Griffith. Well, we're doing an Andy Griffith show. We're not doing the Andy Griffith we're show. We're going to do a little uh, bit of everything, I think. I think yeah. we already have. But but uh, you said that you wanted, there's one episode of the Andy Griffith show you did want to talk yes. about. Yes. And now there's, there's two, now that I think of it. <laughs> but uh, so I'm sorry. Barney's physical. Yeah, okay, that's the one where uh, Barney has to gain weight. Yes, and he's, he, he's not yeah. only too light, but he's too short. Yes, he, yes. I think uh, the the term is, like, barely alive, basically. <laughs> I think, like, right. the doctor's verdict was like, how are you standing up? Like, were you born or just kind of assembled like a homunculus? <laughs> yes. And 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 they they hang him up by his neck in the uh, in the closet to try to expand his height. Right. They yes. have this stretching contraption that just pulls on his skull. Which may I say, mm-hmm. I've done before. People, that's a, a real thing. You can put people in traction, not to stretch them, but to put you know space between their discs. Okay. Sorry, I thought it was. I thought it was for the purpose of you being stretched. No, no, no. Like, no. And I got so pumped for five seconds. 
Is that why no website has your height <laughs> correct? Yes. Is that why it's different? Are you just hot, hanging out, stretching your neck in closets? Yes. In between pre- sets? I have pre-stretched and post-stretched heights. <laughs> um, no, it's a thing where you, you know, it puts you in traction and it feels nice. Um, I also think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, so he's stretching and then Opie and the kids come by. And they yes. think he's hanging himself? Yes. Yes. Like, what? Yes. I remember watching that and just being floored to not only have, you know, hey, wouldn't it be funny if people think he's hanging himself, but also to have kids watching him and not really be bothered by it. The, basically, Selling Obi tickets. Selling tickets, yeah. as a matter of fact. Obi basically goes, hey, do you want to see my secondary father figure committing suicide poorly yeah uh just feeling the, it's the the sociopathic nature of like young boys where it's right. like yeah and 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 then to not go gee it's taking quite a while for him to die yeah imagine lean on me but like the dead body in the woods also helped raise you yeah yes <laughs> it, it's so dark if yes. if nobody had yelled at them, they would have been throwing rocks at what they thought was a dead body within mm-hmm. like five minutes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then Aunt B, and I remember this because it's very odd, and I looked it up. Aunt B hands him a milkshake to yeah. fatten him up. It's first of all, it's, it's hilarious that he has to get taller and fatter. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yes, he has to do both in. The milkshake, there was a fuck-up in production. The Baskin-Robbins logo is on it. Yes, you can clearly see a 31. I mentioned (laughs) apparently there is a Baskin-Robbins in in Mayberry. Right, that that doesn't have any brands other than (laughs) Baskin-Robbins. And I do think... And Ford, and Ford. Sure, of of course. (laughs) Um, They don't make cars, they make Fords. This is true. I can't remember if it's right before or right after uh, Floyd has a stroke. I think it's... That is post-Floyd stroke. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, a little before, because Floyd's stroke episode was um, back when they get abducted by uh, by a group of escaped women convicts. Uh, yeah, so this was... I think this was maybe like... I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna double check. Please look this up. I don't want to get this wrong. I don't want to be sued by his estate. Oh, the McNear estate is very litigious. We've gotten like (laughs) eight season desists from them. (laughs) Only them, weirdly. (laughs) Like the Griffith estate could give a shit. McNear is on us. Uh, I think I can verify this is post. uh, This is post stroke. Also, that's in the same season we're doing right now. That's season five, episode two, because these seasons never end for us. Right. Oh my god! So <laughs> they're so a, long. There's another shot. There is a shot of Floyd walking, which is quite remarkable given the circumstances, and he's walking in the wrong direction. He says, "I'm going back to the barber shop." I think they're at the courthouse. And whatever the layout is, he he walks the wrong <laughs> he way. Goes in the other way, which is probably yeah. a good indication that he should stop walking. They couldn't get a second take of that. They couldn't say Howard do that again, and he would like be like, no, yeah, physically no, yeah, just collapse like a cartoon skeleton immediately after that take, yes. just into a pile. The other episode, and I cannot remember the name of it. There is a child. Riding his bike on the sidewalk. Yeah. 
And he's been warned repeatedly. And he basically tells Andy to go fuck off. He certainly tells Barney to fuck off. And then Andy sees him do it again and straight up takes the kid's bike. And that's then, uh and that's then the, the dad one, like the, tries the, to fight him, right? Yes. Like I think the dad that's, is That's like, the selfish kid, right? Yeah. Selfish kid or self And yeah. <laughs> like the third act is the dad confronting Andy and Andy explaining it, and then the dad basically going, You're right, my kid is a dick. <laughs> yeah. Like sorry. Yeah. And I think it's that like is... a you can keep the bike or something something ridiculous. That is Opie and the spoiled kid. Yes. Uh, and yes, and, and that episode does end with the dad going, Hey man, you got a woodshed around here. You got a place I can go yes. beat my kid. Yeah. You're right. I can't believe I haven't been beating my kid this whole time. Yeah. He goes from zero to sixty on the aggressiveness of his parenting style, where he's like he goes from complete negligence to just like, Alright, you made some good points. I'm gonna start hitting the kid. And there is this thing about Andy that I love. Where he he reminds me of Batman in the sense that he has the most exhausting sense of justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you you're hitting on something. We keep going, right? keep going, keep like, saying these you words. You can't pick an easier way. You're so wrapped up in your morals that you have to make it hard not only on yourself. You know, at both during Batman movies and the Andy Griffith show, do I yell? Would you just shoot somebody? <laughs> <laughs> Please. You you also have to remember that in Andy Griffith logic, the worst thing you can ever do, like worse than any crime, is hurt somebody's feelings a little bit, mm-hmm. right? And he and he makes things so much worse on himself. Uh, that one episode that you mentioned, uh, the spoiled kid. There's also, and this is one thing we talk about on the show, a pretty insidious, super shitty message there, <laughs> where Andy essentially tells his his son. Hey kid, never ever negotiate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fuck you for negotiating, right? Because yes. because Opie learned from the spoiled kid that the spoiled kid's allowance is different, and that uh, he doesn't have to do his main chores. Opie comes in and says, "Hey, you gave me the same allowance last week when I did my normal chores as you did this week when I did extra chores and cleaned out the garage and did a whole bunch of other stuff. So I'm doing extra work for more pay." And then Andy's response is, "Hey, where's that woodshed?" Yeah. basically like yeah there, there is there is a deep kind of like hey you're a if you try to negotiate ever you're just like this spoiled kid on the bike it, there was, Who was a, just riding on the sidewalk man like there was a lot it was very like suppress the middle class message yeah there oh man this show hates homeless people too. <laughs> yeah. oh yeah straight up hates homeless people yes and uh, rj do you want the, another job do you want to be on the show <laughs> I was just going to bring up one of my favorite, I don't know if he's homeless, but he's certainly crazy. The wonderful Howard Morris. Yes. Yes. We have very Uh, conflicted feelings on Ernest T. Bass. Yes. 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 Well, because he's basically playing someone with special needs. I mean, he's, he is a (laughs) goblin man. We we refer to him as, as like the sexual assault goblin. Yeah. Like, Yes, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. He he is illiterate. Yeah. Uh, he he, you know, functions at like a six year old's level. But also, he really loves to kidnap women and like yes with sexual menace. So we have very very weird feelings about that guy. Yeah. But he's. I mean, the thing is, he's also 
the f- the best character and the worst simultaneously mm. because he delivers such a like desperately required chaos element yeah. but also he's like the, he's the joker if andy is batman he is the joker there's right. no way to stop him he is a force of chaos you just have to have to outlast him yes but so yeah that the thing we compare him to is like what if the joker just usually beat batman's ass like what <laughs> if the joker won like 80 percent of the time yes. and batman won if at at most moral victories over the joker you know howard morris also played jerry lewis's father in the nutty professor hmm? and huh. he's also he's on your show of shows with sid caesar he's he's got a very nice body of work um Another episode that you've just unlocked in my brain is when a group of hillbillies sort of kidnap Aunt B. Yes. Oh, jeez, dude. Yes, that is the um. What are their names, Marty? The the the, the darlings. The darlings, played by real life bluegrass band, the Dillards. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they they kidnap Aunt B because their patriarch, uh, Mister Darling, whose name escapes me right now, uh. Is in love with her and yeah. you know and wants to woo her and they kidnap her mm-hmm. and then Aunt, uh, Bar- uh, Andy goes up to rescue her but he just rescues her by taking her outside and then saying hey let's go back in and do a bit let's go do yeah. a bit with your kidnappers yeah let's get one over <laughs> this will teach them and that's the other he like oh my god no the, and the other there's another one. I'm so, I'm so sorry to do this to everybody. No, no, go for uh, it, man. <laughs> there's another one with with the the classical modern American sense of gypsies come to town. Oh, I don't think we've gotten we have, that one yet. I think that's, okay. I think that's a color ep- is that a color episode? No, or have we gotten there yet? no. Let me oh. see if I can look it up now. That might be like just over the horizon for us. We've gotten the um the old timey tonic salesman like the we got the old timey tonic the salesman and we and we did get a uh, we did get a fortune teller like deck of cards episode. It is uh, a color episode. You're correct. Just, yeah. Oh my god! Oh, looking forward to that. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh boy. Um, there is also one of my favorite. You know, when you you a show like this when they jump the shark, you somehow love it even more. But I, I think that's going to happen for us. I think we're going to wind up actually loving the color episodes, the ones that the yes. Andy Griffith fans do not like. Well, wait till you get to the reunion movie. I yeah. think it's the first one, which also directed by Bob Sweeney. Oh, yeah. great! Yeah. <laughs> because the first twelve minutes is just Andy saying hello to people. <laughs> It's un- I mean, it kind of nice. It's but... kind of nice, but it's also like, guy, it's just literally them saying, "Look, we got everyone." Well, I'm. I'm I mean, ass- I'm I mean... assuming that for the time period, that was like the effect of seeing Avengers Endgame in theaters, where right. like a character would show up and people like, "Oh!" and you'd need to have like the applause. It's Floyd. It's yeah. Floyd! Yeah. Oh yeah. my god, he said the thing. It's all, my but... god, that's Goober's music. <laughs> Goober's coming. <laughs> It's it's a constant stream of gee Andy, it's good to see you again, <laughs> and it's like oh my god, we get it. All okay, right, so- I, I gotta I gotta get your opinion on yeah. this. Go- Gomer Pyle UMSC. Have, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Because we we did an episode on the 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 backdoor pilot for it. Yeah. And felt really weird about the guy that's like a 
um, a, a mental handicap allegory going to Viet- Vietnam. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's horrible on its own. I don't think it's any different than the shows of the time. Mm. You know, when you put it next to a Hogan's Heroes, suddenly it's not that bad of a show. And 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 that's kind of what we why we hone in on Andy Griffith specifically is because like. Andy Griffith fans go to the mat for Andy Griffith as like a textbook for life, mm-hmm. right? Nobody, nobody's writing the gospel according to Gilligan, right? right? Nobody is, you know. So it's it's a show that I don't necessarily know that the show takes itself seriously. No, the show takes itself seriously. I there think are it does some some moral episodes where Andy's looking at the camera and saying, "This is the lesson you should learn today." And as opposed to other '60s sitcoms that are just, mm-hmm. we're having so fun, we're doing something silly, we're gonna do a bit like, yeah. That's why I. That's why I can't get as mad at those as I do like right. Andy Griffith. It's know. one of those things where it's like, and we're all of the similar age, where it's like the shows like Chris Elliott's Get a Life is yeah. only impactful if you know something like Mayberry. Mm-hmm. Like it's only anarchy against something neat and orderly like Mayberry. Or or uh, Joe, Joe Para. Joe Para yes. kind of plays with that, you know, because uh, he presents Upper Michigan as a Mayberry-like world, yeah. but with with revolving characters that are, everything's just slightly off. Mm-hmm. I find it way more wholesome and pure than what Andy Griffith is. I, I mean, yeah, like the, without like having really like dug into the concept of, of Mayberry, it, it kind of like enriches like even like something like David Lynch or like Stephen King where it's sure. sort of like, really, it helps you kind of understand like the fury against small town America because yeah. you now have like full frame of reference for like what this actually represented to people right. or, or, or early Tim Burton and the, and the suburbs, right? Yeah. Early Tim Burton is yeah. about how much he hates the suburbs. That kind of stems yeah. from this. I, they, there really is a, a direct line between like something like Twin Peaks. Yeah. And Mayberry and how many Twin Peaks, especially. Yeah, sure. And it is a good, they, you know, Mayberry did lay that groundwork where, Oh, if, if you did something like you don't realize there are clear rules in this universe, you know, yeah, and and I think because TV was so early, and there weren't there weren't rules about like what a TV show could be. There weren't like you know, you know three act structure, A and B plots. I mean, those existed in plays, but we hadn't done them in TV so far. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the example I always give to people is uh, listeners have heard this before. Episode one of the Andy Griffith Show. The plot is. Uh, Opie's a little sad because Aunt B comes to town and she doesn't know how to catch frogs or play baseball. <laughs> That's the plot of episode one. Episode two of the Andy Griffith show is there is an escaped convict. Mm-hmm. He is on the loose. He has a gun and only Sheriff Taylor has the small town know how to bring him down. Yeah. Just the wild tonal whiplash because TV didn't really have rules at that point. We didn't right. know like what the standards of like, like what is a, a TV episode? Yeah. Which has led to Dan and I screaming numerous times. This isn't television. <laughs> Nothing is happening. Right. This is 12 minutes of saying hello. Yes. I also want to mention a wonderful, and maybe you guys should do this when you're finally done all the series is a, there's a fantastic parody of the Andy Griffith show. On SCTV. I don't know if you've seen it. Hmm. I have not. It is a double parody. Uh, our Canadian parody. listeners are very excited. Yes. It is a <laughs> double parody of the Merv Griffin show. 
and Rick Moranis plays Merv Griffin playing Andy Griffith. And this is extremely high concept. I cannot believe you haven't heard of this. It It is going to blow your mind. You had me at Moranis to the degree that I barely listened to anything you said after Moranis. It is a, just an unbelievable double parody of, like, the ultimate killing two birds with one stone. He's, yeah. he's crossed over the Merv Griffin show and the Andy Griffith show and almost all of the characters. And Joe Flaherty plays Don Knotts. I was going to say, R- Moranis would be who I would cast in the Don Knotts role, but that's well, funny. Well, Moranis is playing Merv Griffin, Merv Griffin playing, playing Andy Griffith. Andy Griffith. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot going on there. Okay. All right, RJ. You, you've sold us on <laughs> yeah. this. Yes. Also, yeah, I, I, you've also volunteered yourself to come back for the Return to Mayberry movie. Yes. Uh, just for the opening. Bud. I just want to talk about it. <laughs> We got you on a 10-minute clock, and then you're out. Yes. It would actually be extremely funny if we did, if that was like the last episode of the podcast, we just had all of our favorite guests show on for 10 minutes at a time, and just brought them in one after another. It'd be hard to arrange that. Okay, I need you to watch this this TV movie from 1989, but you only need to watch from minute 28 to minute 38, (laughs) and then come and talk about that. Yes. Do you want to talk about some Matlock? Let's talk about some Matlock. Let's talk about some Matlock. And uh, RJ, I'm glad that you brought Matlock to us today because uh, I had never seen Matlock before. Wow. Um, we've been procrastinating I, on Matlock, kind I've of saving sp- it in case it was our plan B. Yeah. Uh, we've been sitting it, on it. We've been yeah. sitting there like, this is, a, this is an Andy Griffith show mm-hmm. podcast. We're going to need to do Matlock eventually. But we just kind of kept putting it off. I don't think that Matlock, I'm glad we're doing it under these circumstances. I don't think Matlock works for what we do because it's a pretty standard like procedural yeah. You know, it's it's silly, but it you know, there's it's funny, but it is it is fairly serious. I don't think there's a lot for us to do week after week, so I'm glad we're doing it under these uh circumstances. We are talking about uh I blanked on my I, I know uh, the title of the episode. No, I was gonna, yeah, we're talking about season two, episode seven, The Annihilator. Yes. Uh, which is already a great so my my other niche passion is wrestling episodes of non-wrestling shows. Mm-hmm. You, and I you have did, a whole YouTube channel about yes, it. Or whole yeah, a little series called the Hollywood Squared Circle. So um, good. So I, recapped, I, watched, I watched some of these. I specifically did not watch the Annihilator one, though. Very all Matlock episodes, very hard to find. I believe I had to like really pay to watch this. <laughs> Um, they, this one, this one is on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's one of a handful in this season that are on Amazon Prime. Yes. They're very, uh, they're very assorted. Um, uh, starring as a wrestler, Dick Butkus, who just passed away, famed Chicago Bears linebacker Dick Butkus. Yes, who you can also see as the later. coach in Hang Time. We all remember, uh, and nobody remembers Hang Time? I don't remember Hang Time. I've, no, I've <laughs> never heard of Hang Time. Oh, it was a show, it was a 90s sitcom about uh, a high school basketball team. And unfortunately, Sounds that's it. it. That's really I'm imagining that's that's Dick Butkus as a high school basketball coach, and I'm into it. Uh, also, uh, the ring announcer in this episode is actual L.A. Lakers commentator uh, announcer Chick Hearn. Yes. So they they brought in uh, an actual broadcaster for that. Yes. To play that role. Um, um, a little light on the actual wrestlers. Which, what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, 
And the the referee is Count Billy Varga, who is not only a I, I wouldn't say he's famous now, but he was famous back then. But he also appears in probably seventy percent of every wrestling episode of non wrestling shows, just because like th- him and there's guys like Jimmy Lennon who they're in L.A. They did one of these once, and then every time that casting director needs a wrestling person. They go to this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, it becomes the guy. Like sometimes you have a guy that's just like the bank robber, or like you know. yes, so. yeah, your your go to. Right. That's interesting. That's interesting, and and like sort of a thing that literally only RJ City is is equipped <laughs> to notice. Like yes, congratulations, man. This is this is a bit of information for you and only you. <laughs> yes. Also, uh, as the judge, Robert Downey Sr. That was that was our, uh, Robert Downey Senior. Yeah, you shit yeah. Me? yeah, yeah. Robert Downey Senior, right there. Holy shit! Oh my god, I'm so mad at myself for not ca- clocking that. That's cool yeah. as shit. People don't realize; they just think he was a junior for commercial purposes. And it's like, no, no, there was a father who there who was a man who resented a him. There. Yeah, yeah. Who made it's... some kick-ass movies? Yes. They're, yeah. They're not not to be confused with Robert Downey Junior.'s The Judge. Uh, a, movie, a movie in which Robert Downey Jr. spends half the time wondering if he made out with his own daughter. Yes. Let me let me tell you how little people have talked about this episode. If you Google Matlock the Annihilator, I'm like the second thing that comes up. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, prepare to be the third as well. Yeah, it's going to be this episode. We're making a real contribution here. It's It's... I think a nice episode. Um, yeah. Let's 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 do uh for our listeners. Let's talk recap the plot basically. Okay. Of this episode. Uh, in this episode, Ben Matlock, uh, who is a uh, high paid defense attorney, and I say high paid because literally every synopsis that I read of Matlock <laughs> emphasizes how much this dude costs. Yeah. They make a big deal out of it. So Andy Griffiths plays Ben Matlock, a Atlanta lawyer, uh, defense attorney. And in this episode, he is convinced by his secretary, his typist, who is a big wrestling fan, mm-hmm. to represent Vic the Annihilator Garrett, played by Dick Butkus, right. who is accused of, in real life, killing his wrestling rival, uh, yeah. Sailor uh, Jack. Yeah. So, all my familiarity with Matlock up until this point came from uh, Grandpa Simpson yelling it. Um, yeah. And... Uh, so I, I did like my cursory Wikipedia scan and the, the summary of Matlock was, um, he's expensive, he's very frugal and Mm -hmm. he eats a lot of hot dogs. And I'm kind of like, that's your third thing about him. (laughs) Like, I think it's, it's expensive. He's a widower guy loves hot dogs. (laughs) And I I was kind of like, this character is like beloved, right? There must be more to him than than that but he is kind of kind of describe him as as very passive he's kind of just mm-hmm. i think sort of the soothing thing about him is that he's just kind of there he's not particularly like emotionally invested in anything he's just kind of like a very i i can There's... see why grandpa simpson loved him because he's sort of a soothing presence by like how how placid he is yeah there's a lot of dna between ben matlock and andy taylor mm-hmm. especially these pieces of andy taylor where like basically his job is to just go uh-huh 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Ah. And then explain something to you nice and slow. In fact, so much, so much of the character is so similar that I was actually annoyed. I'm like, I feel like I got to take back every nice thing I've ever said about Andy Griffith, the actor, because he's just doing the same shit in a different, like, setting. You could have literally just made Ben Matlock Andy Taylor, and it would have been exactly the same. He plays exactly the same. Well, he's just an an older version of of Andy Taylor. I would, but I would even say he's somehow as passive as possible. Mm-hmm. I will I would describe Matlock as uh, a show for people who think Columbo is too fast paced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this this did not need an hour or whatever it is. Oh my god. No, it it was kind of like it it felt like the most like str- I, I watch a lot of like 70s and 60s crime shows and yeah. it felt like of all of them this was the most just like just pitch straight down the middle over the plate, not trying to be the most clever, uh, like murder plot in the world, yeah. not trying to be like the most brilliant detective. It was just kind of like a guy got murdered. The killer had, uh, confused people with a neat little trick. Matlock mm-hmm. figures it out. Boom. We're out by 40 minutes. Right. I mean, that's it's same, same, uh, creator as perry mason and a lot of similarities between (laughs) this show and perry mason yeah absolutely. Uh, i will say dan you said 60s and 70s i normally i give the uh, air date this originally aired november 10th 1987 Mm. uh written written by ann collins story by rift fournier directed by christopher hibbler i don't know any of those names but i always just give the the credit where it's due so we're Uh, deep into the the rock and wrestling boom Mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. it makes perfect so, sense why they would be like let's do this um the the, the wrestler who died sailor is played by jack wildman armstrong who is a very not famous wrestler um, <laughs> he's less of a wild man and more of just a real sleazy looking guy yeah in like the best wrestling way why he's named sailor in this not really sure how would you say you mentioned that there's not a, a lot of wrestlers uh, filling out the cast of this, right? How would you say that they're doing at like at acting it? Like, do you feel like they're they're getting let's, a pretty good piece of it? Or let's talk I, about that first scene, especially. You get like four minutes of right at the beginning. You get a four minute match, essentially. How yes, is the wrestling looking in that. So, so those are wrestlers. I immediately have a problem with the ring. Mm. Okay. The ropes are too big and loose and weird, and it just I like I know that that's not you know what I mean, right? And even yeah. if it is a ring, it's just a really shitty one. More often than not, sometimes they'll just get a boxing ring or try to you know whatever that bothers me. I will say for the wrestling, the wrestling is very good for what this is in terms of like oh okay that's inoffensive. And I would also say, if you have to get a guy to play a wrestler, Dick Buckus, pretty good. Yeah. In terms of, like, being grizzled and being, you know what I mean? And not making fun of the wrestlers. But Buckus isn't an amazing actor, but he does pretty well in this role. As right? far as football players go, he's fucking brand up. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Just by being competent. Yeah. Yeah. By, by by having by having his brain, you know, competent enough to to say lines of, and he it was pretty good jobs. I I believe yeah. his emotions. I believe his emotions when he says things like, "Hey, man, I didn't do it." Yes. <laughs> he just seems like 
like mildly pissed off throughout the entire thing, which it's mm-hmm. hard to tell if that's like what they asked for of the character or if that's just what he could do. Whereas yeah. like he's like, I'm pleading for my life. I don't want to go to jail. Yeah. Kind of annoyed about it. Not particularly mad, but this is this is some bullshit. And it's like, I don't know if that was what was in the script, but he's playing the shit out of it. Yeah. And to be fair, he he does disappear for like the entire middle chunk of the episode. Sure. Like, uh, yeah, I, yeah. He's yeah. not exactly he, carrying this thing. Yeah. <laughs> he he is there. Uh, so there is a wrestling match between uh, Vic, the Annihilator, and Sailor Jack, uh, during which uh, Sailor Jack pulls a move wrong and the annihilator actually gets hurt actually hurts his his shoulder or something which right. i thought was gonna come into play later like he couldn't have hit him with this bottle because his shoulder his rotator cuff was torn or something yes. never comes into play um so they had an action and they actually get angry uh with him and threatens him on screen like on the air and yeah. then threatens him again backstage and says i'm gonna go over there and, and fix you and threatens him in front of our list of suspects, basically. His right. manager, another wrestler named Gentleman George. Uh, the wrestling promoter, Tommy O'Keefe, who is essentially... I don't know if Vince McMahon was Vince McMahon at this point, but he's our Vince McMahon stand-in. You know, yeah. He's our, our promoter. Yes, and I think this is really the, the beginning of... Like, Vince is on commentary at this point. You know, yeah. He's appearing weekly. And if you don't understand that he's the, the owner of the company, you certainly know he's involved. You know? Yeah, it makes it really clear. And he's also there is Connie Hammond, who is Sailor Jack's uh, manager. So there's our list of suspects, basically. Yeah. Um, so I, I do want to do a quick aside. They Sailor Jack, good fucking premise for a wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, liked it. Um, and the, the place where it kind of comes apart is when he is walking out of the ring and and he is getting in a confrontation with the Annihilator, and he has a little sailor's hat on, yes. which I thought was a really interesting choice. Because not even like a, like a like a cool like 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 ship captain hat, just like yeah. a little a little sailor man, like he's on tugboat Willie, which predates one of my favorite wrestlers, Tugboat, by at least three or four years. So really a really progressive episode of Matlock <laughs> as far as wrestling is concerned. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's really, he's really sailor in outfit only. He yeah. does not act like one, you know? I, mm-hmm. If anything, he, he, he's a guy who looks like he's at the tail end of his naval career. He doesn't have a nautical themed finishing move. Right. We also remember uh, G.I. Joe was also a popular cartoon around this time. And they had a character named Shipwreck who was wearing basically the same outfit. Right. Right. Shipwreck also had, it was their Navy guy. Uh, so he's kind of doing that, but he's not. I mean, I don't know if I want him to do like a Popeye voice or an R or something. I mean, what, what's he going to do? Yeah, you know, I... It's really the one line. You right. Know, once a champ, always a champ. Uh, the thing that really bothers me is, so towards the end, there's a big kind of chase scene mm-hmm. through the empty arena. Yeah. Which I love, because they use the full actual arena. I'm, I don't know if it was the LA Forum or, you know, whatever it was. Clearly, they went to a wrestling show and used that space. But when the actual wrestling happens, and when there's crowd shots, it's clearly not there. Hmm. Interesting. It's yeah. clearly like a soundstage. It's like the CBS soundstage a lot. Yes. Something. Yes. Okay. That ring I hate. 
because it has small small turnbuckles. It has these giant, weird, loose ropes. It drives me nuts. It's too. It's just. It's too big. It makes no sense. Um, and, and the ropes wouldn't be that big a deal, except they use the ropes for a bit at the very end of the episode. Yeah. Right. Annihilator gets wrapped up in the ropes and and kind of strangled and choked in that. Yes. So they call attention to it. And they did do the smart thing of having the Annihilator wear a mask. Yeah. Uh, which means Dick Buckus doesn't actually have to wrestle. Yes. I, yeah. I'm going to be... I, 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 I feel like a child a little bit because I really thought it was Dick Buckus wrestling there. Which is great. And, but I, I will yeah. the magic of television. Yeah. If it, if it is, then amazing. And probably what they did do is, is have him do as much of it as possible. And then the yeah. things like, ooh, the episode ends on a sunset flip, which I do not see Dick Buckus doing a flip. Oh, um, absolutely. His his shins would explode if he tried that <laughs> at this point in his career. So I think all that was edited, I think, really well. You know? Yeah. And it's so really, it's... for, what is it, 1987 wrestling? Yeah. I would say it's up to speed <laughs> with okay. what's going yeah. on in the ring in 1987. It's on par. The, the Matlock audience is is not getting upset. The uh, <laughs> right. the, the, the 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 giant overlap between Matlock fans and eighties wrestling fans. Yes. No. no they are the that that little uh, Venn diagram is not is not being up, uh, upset at this point. Except they're all mad about the ring, obviously. Yes. Uh, uh, so, Buttkiss, the Annihilator, uh, decides that he wants to go and hash things out with Sailor Jack. This is this is not just an in kayfabe. This is not just an in character dispute. They actually were friends, and then they had a falling out. Right, uh, and and it's it's never discussed what it was, and it doesn't matter. Well, they um, they do say like basically Sailor Jack injured him really severely to the point where he could he had to switch to being a heel. He couldn't be uh he couldn't be a hero anymore. Right. Um, so kind of ruined his career, and basically yeah. did it almost again like almost ended his career tonight yeah um which he i i think justifiably pops off about sure he, yeah he he's not even everybody is like he threatened to kill him and he was basically like i'm going to get even with you implied in the ring like yeah. he's he's not like i'm gonna come to your house and murder you with a wine bottle he's like right yeah but but i mean the this is a common thing. You're talking trash. At that AEW screen uh, taping I went to the other day, uh, I watched a man tell another guy that he's got two bullets for you, like, to go in your head. Like, sure. This is, this is threats. RJ, I want to ask a question about, like, behind-the-scenes wrestling things. Yes. Do you guys, just like you practice moves, mm -hmm. do you guys also have to, like, have almost like a psychological discussion of just like, hey, man, I'm doing this in character. It's kind of understood. But also, I'm sure, like, there are people that, genuinely don't like each other just like you don't like all of your co-workers i believe that andre the giant genuinely didn't like hulk hogan because hulk hogan's an asshole sure so, um, so where where do when you're when you're in character for so long where does those lines blur and what do you have to do to sort of keep professional i guess i i mean i think it's up to the <clears throat> i deal with that when i do hey ew not that it's a it's not that i deal with it but it's a consideration where it's like mm -hmm. I'm, you know, doing jokes for 10 minutes. I don't want to really insult somebody. Um, you know, just like anyone, they're like, I would assume people are touchy about certain things at certain times. But I think, by and large, people understand what's an act or what's not. Or even there's people like 
Eddie Kingston, who are just like the rawest performer in the world and is clearly, you know, I don't want to say not performing, but it's it's pretty obvious that it's it's the real him out there. Mm. And having said that, he's he's kind of like an anything goes guy. There's an understanding that if the light's on and if it gets a reaction, then great. <laughs> you know, and, it, and that that's also the thing of of doing comedy where it's like, well, how honest do you want to be? And where are we crossing the line? And the answer is we don't know until we know. And if it works, then it works. Um, so it's, cool. I, I would say it's different for, for people. Some people are playing characters. Some people are themselves. Jeff Jarrett is Jeff Jarrett. His family's been in this business for like 50 years. That's real, you know? Is there like a thing of like, you know, you're you're getting into like the trash talk portion of it. Is there like a thing that happens where it's like, oh shit, no, a, a line got crossed? Not like intentionally. A safe but like, word? But like, yeah, is, it, is there like a thing of like, oh shit, we actually like kind of hit a nerve here? Like, well, I didn't know I had this line, but I it turns out I do. There, there's a certain thing where, where you go, gee, you don't want to make your opponent look like a complete piece of shit. <laughs> then you're just wrestling a piece of shit. Yeah. You know, okay. That's just like if if Batman didn't care about the Joker that much. And it's just like this guy's just a fucking loser. Then you really wouldn't care about the Joker, you know? Um but but I think it's it's different f- for all people in all situations and and um yeah, it's a, there's no blanket rule for that, mm-hmm. you know? Obviously, you don't want to say, "Oh, this guy's you know broken or old or he's a bad wrestler." But then sometimes you do. You do want to say that <laughs> uh, if it gets a good reaction and it makes sense and it it goes somewhere. So yeah, yeah. yeah I guess you really don't know until you do it. But huh. I hope you know it, you don't know if it works until it works. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think people try to be considerate as possible. Uh, within the realm of, of, but you know, if I want to insult somebody, I would insult them. I don't. <laughs> if it's if it hits a nerve with you, I think that that was not necessarily the goal, but you want the fans to see that, you know, right? Sort of like the rawness of it a little bit, right? Which is yeah. uh, which is fun. So I used to team with David Arquette. Right. I wa- I watched so David Arquette. Cool. You can- I watched you cannot kill David Arquette the other day. Yes. Uh, and Which I'd like to tell our listeners, uh, that's not true. David, Ar- You shouldn't kill David Arquette. He seems no. like a really nice guy, but he is human. I'll, I'll put it this way. A lot of people have tried. <laughs> uh, and we, we used to team together, and I didn't never wanted to team with him, and I didn't like him, and that was the story of the tag team. And every time we got in the ring, I would get on the mic and apologize to the audience, and I would get very close to him and say... From the bottom of my heart, you are the most talentless human being I've ever met in my life. And I would say that every single match. And we had, I don't know, 20, 30 tag team matches. And he said, and he understood the parameters and what and why and the role I was playing. He said, every time I told him that, it hurt. (laughs) It stung. And he would say it after, like in the ring before he'd go, I I felt it i still feel and, it and you guys are friends you guys are bros in real life yes yeah, yeah and so. i mean you know that's that's my job not that i yeah. think he's a talented human being i wouldn't go that far but you know that's that's <laughs> my was my job there that took and, me a second <laughs> but but also 
you know, as much as it, and he's a guy who has his heart on his sleeve in that always, always, no mm. matter what. And I'm sure he acts like that too in his different roles, and that's how he does his stuff. But you know, if it hurts and it stings, then you go, okay, good. Hopefully, it affects the audience. You know, which is really mm. the goal. Now you got me thinking about it and relating it. Like Dan and I on this mic are we razz each other. We're we're meaner to each other on this mic than we are hanging out in real life. Yeah, because there's an audience. Because a bit. Because this is you know even though we're being us, this is the role we play, and this is just what you're talking. Just maximized to the extreme, mm-hmm. made bigger and more. Which is what wrestling is. It's everything right. made bigger. So that makes sense to me. That said, I would imagine that if somebody winds up dead. You probably don't want recording of me under any circumstances saying that I wanted to kill that guy an hour before. Yes, that was a stand-up bit of mine where it's like, why would you say that on yeah. a mic, on camera? You're the first person they're going to look for. <laughs> if fucking Stone Cold Steve Austin goes missing, are they going to have to interview everybody else who called him? Well, if you're going by or... motive, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it is funny. I also did an episode of a Canadian show called Murdoch Mysteries. And it's a a mystery detective show set in the early 1900s. And they did a wrestling episode with essentially the same premise. Okay. It's a a good premise. It is. Yeah. And it's a guy dies in the ring. And well, there's a bunch of suspects in wrestling, you know, and also wrestlers seem crazy enough to do it too. I would play that point and click game. That sounds like a real fun go around, go around, like investigate the turnbuckle and click on that. <laughs> Some sort of stock dialogue. I don't think we need to look at the turnbuckle right now. <laughs> on Murdoch Mysteries, um, were you a were you, were you a regular? Or were you just doing the? Um, I was just doing guys? that. I was the. Just, uh, I was the, the sailor of the, of the episode. Unloading box. Uh, oh, you were the murder victim. I wasn't sure if you were like did the you, guy uh, doing yeah, the equivalent of unloading boxes, like on an episode of Law and Order. No, so I wrestled. Uh, the the handsome I can't remember his name, but he was handsome something, and he dropped dead after the match. Oh, so you uh, were the suspect? Yes. Interesting. Did you do it? No, I. I'm, you want me to ruin the whole episode? No. Okay, uh, fine. They came, it's okay. They it came to me, and I said, "No, you know this is fake. What is wrong with you, people?" Okay, I, I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to answer really honestly. Okay. Do you think you played that part better than Bupkis? Do you think like one on one? Do you think you hit it hit it better? No, no, ah, no. Okay. I right. I Dick Buckus all the way. Yeah, <laughs> I used a very well. It's the early 1900s, and it's Canada, but it's been settled by British people, so you have to use a really weird accent, <laughs> like a non accent, but you have to have good English. It was not my strong suit. Let me put it that way. <laughs> We're we're asking the hard hitting questions and getting honest answers here on Breaking Mayberry. <laughs> All right, so uh, so uh, Vic goes to Sailor's apartment. He puts on a suit, which I find adorable. Yeah. Uh, he gets a little rough with the security guard who doesn't want to let him in, but he's gonna go and he, I believe, he genuinely wants to like talk it out with Sailor oh, yeah. and, and become friends again. He goes up there and he finds Sailor dead on the floor. Mm. Uh, place has been trashed, and there's what well, he was. Looks like he was killed with a wine bottle. Great uh, sleazy L.A. apartment. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. yuppie this apartment. Yeah. Beautifully yuppie. Cassie Phillips, who is Ben Matlock's uh, secretary, typist. Mm-hmm. She is a wrestling fan. She and uh, and, and Matlock's partner Michelle 
were at the show that night, uh, and Cassie convinces uh, Matlock to take the the job. This is where we see that little bit of Andy Griffith uh, of Andy Taylor inside of this because he's not mm-hmm. interested at all. He's fixing a chair the entire time. Yes, and I have. Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> Which I will also say. I- it's a useful storytelling device with wrestling episodes to have somebody like Matlock, who's not really a fan and doesn't really mm-hmm. like it, because there are plenty of people who don't like wrestling or just don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So he he becomes the audience vaudeville. surrogate. Right. Yeah, he calls it vaudeville. Uh, he yeah. calls them a bunch of gorillas that escaped from a hormone farm. Yeah. Which I thought was a pretty good line. Which is something uh, I will steal at some point. did notice this, and maybe this is... I don't know if this is a comment on Andy as an actor or a comment on how they wrote Cassie's dialogue, but I realized half um, through my second watch, I was like, you could take this scene word for word and just have replace Cassie with Ronnie Howard. And this could be <laughs> like, this could be a, a, a scene between Opie and Andy Taylor easily. Pa, you know how sometimes you take a case <laughs> because someone asked you to? Sometimes you take a case because they pay you. Well, what if somebody asked you to take a case? What's this all about, Opie? It's the same yeah. fucking dialogue. You could, yeah. And I think I think that says more about how they wrote this grown woman uh, than anything that Andy's doing. But it's real and similar, right? I think it's also a good lesson in how to get forty minutes out of a ten minute premise. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Hey, main character, do you know your whole deal? Like, the core premise of the show? Like, the the, for, the thing that achieves forward momentum and and gets us to where we need to be? Okay, cool. Glad we've summarized that. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go all the way through this, but uh, you get the idea here. So, Vic is accused. He's the most obvious suspect in Sailor's murder, especially because the police walked in and found him leaning over the dead body. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it seems pretty cut and dry. Ben goes to the uh, district attorney named Julie Marsh, uh, who is horny for him, right? Like, yeah. pretty clearly horny yeah. for But, like, like, like I, I would say, if anything, like, respectfully horny. Like, a very... Very cordial, horny. Mm-hmm. They're definitely flirting a little bit. She's like, I don't want to keep my favorite defense attorney waiting, you know. And later on, she's with them at the wrestling match. Like afterwards, they're kind of yeah. on a little date. Yeah. Uh, uh, but she reveals that there is a supposed eyewitness to this, somebody mm-hmm. who saw the murder. Uh, that is a crazed fan who was camping out on the roof of. The building across the street from Sailor's house spying yes. on him. That's fun. We, yeah, the the prosecution star witness this clearly unstable teenager who regularly <laughs> stalks a wrestler from the nearby rooftop. Yeah, which is I, I'm I'm not super familiar. Is that like a common occupational hazard in the world of wrestling? Like, do you guys yeah. regularly get roof teens? It's so funny. I uh, walked. Where were we? We were in Louisville last week or this week, and I had to walk down the street to to go to the the hotel or whatever. And someone yelled my name in the dark, and I went, "I'm going to get mugged." <laughs> <laughs> but why, of course, why would a mugger know would... my name and then yell it? 
Yeah, why, I, I want to know why you went straight to mugging and not murder. It feels more right. like, like a murderer might know me. A, a mugger is, isn't going to say, hey, man, you're that right. guy from, from AEW. Give me your money. <laughs> like, My idea of mugging is so old. Like, I, I expect him to say, stick him up. Yeah. yeah. A guy know? like in a ski mask. Yeah. I'm gonna when I if I ever get mugged, I'm gonna just have no I'm gonna be like, well, this is how it happens? Really? This really? has changed I, so much. TV lied su- to me. I have successfully escaped four muggings just on the virtue of in the moment not understanding what's going on. Like somebody right. has been like, Give me your wallet, and I've been like, Why would what? I do that? You're being really mean to me. Yeah. I'm not, and like, they just give up. Super- yeah, they're just like, oh my god, I fucking can't with this guy. I will say, it Dan, is a- Dan Ludwig is too stupid to mug. <laughs> yes. I want that clear. On the record, you are too stupid to steal from. There yes. are some totally, totally out-of-line fans. There always has been, but obviously online now where everyone knows where you are and all that whatever. It ha- Yeah, that, this is very plausible. I don't know what the fuck uh, you would watch Sailor do in his apartment. See, back in the day, when you wanted to have a parasocial relationship with a wrestler, you had to work for it. You had to find a rooftop. Absolutely. You had to to stake him out like an assassin. You had to to put in the time and physical commitment. Yeah. Now you get on Twitter. You look up somebody's somebody's on Google Maps. Yes. The the craft is gone from it. Yeah. Uh, You don't respect them anymore. (laughs) There's a, there's another scene I want to talk about here. Uh, RJ mentioned it a second ago. Ben sends his private investigator, Tyler Hudson, played by Keen Holiday, which is a name I love. He goes and investigates the arena, uh, and he's spying on Tommy O'Connell, mm-hmm. uh, who I mentioned earlier is our, our wrestling promoter. One of the plot points here is that Sailor Jack was considering, rumored to be switching from that promotion to a different promotion. Uh, right. Going to be moving to a different a different company, you know, leaving yes. his, his team here. So that makes Tommy a suspect. Uh, mm-hmm. We do we do the, the chase scene. Some wrestlers chase uh, the investigator through the arena, as you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, and then Tommy gets this monologue, which for me is easily the best part of the episode. <laughs> like, he looks like he's about to break into song. Uh, <laughs> and and the music plays this behind it. There's like a a a a, a march, like a John Philip Sousa march playing as he begins to talk about um, wrestling is a play between good and evil. And this guy was good. He was in fact America. And the punchline is, it would take me at least a couple of years to replace him. It's a good punchline. It's a good scene. I want to call this guy out particularly. I I didn't recognize him from anything else he'd been in. He seems like he's a character actor. He sounds like if I was to make a Saturday morning cartoon version of True Romance, mm. this is the guy I would get to play the 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 Christian Slater part to do the voice of Christian Slater in a in a cartoon. That's... He, you know, there's a what I like about this speech is that. There is a healthy dose of racism here. Oh, you know oh, of that the, the, American. The sumo, oh, the American what? is good, and the what? And I mean that in a way where they're aware of it in wrestling at that time. Uh, he does say that he kills the terrorists. 
Right. That's yes. that's one of the things that he does, right? Uh, 1987, right? So you got Iron Sheik is wrestling at this point. Oh, my like, God. Iron Sheik. Iron Sheik uh, Mr. Fuji. Uh, you oh, know, boy. anyone, anyone not from, and even people from New York are, like, almost always bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's how middle it's, America wrestling is. Is is it is it a Jewish thing? Uh, it... I think sometimes it's it's also maybe a homosexual thing. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. or an elitist. Like, ah, I just think of Adrian Adonis was a real like New York character who then who then turned and very flamboyant. But it, it's you know, listen, hillbilly Jim. You got to be hillbilly Jim. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also every ethnicity at that time, early eighties, mid eighties. For every group of immigrants, you had your hero. The Polish guys had Ivan Putski. The Italian guys had Bruno San Martino. The hero was always the immigrant willing to assimilate. Oh, mm. shit. You know what I mean? I mean, there is the, the Sailor Jack has the, the blonde hair, blue eyed quality. Definitely. Right. The... He's, a, he's a Navy man. He's an armed forces man. You know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on that note, I think we got to talk about Jimmy Ito and uh, his brother. Right. This, I, this, this again, episode does feature a, a, a behind a behind the scenes question again, RJ. Yes. Is um how often do uh, yakuza dress like the Blues Brothers factor yes. into the world of right. wrestling? Yeah. Is that like um, common? Is that like to, to to explain? Let me let me explain what Dan just asked. Two two other suspects in this show are in this caper are uh the ito brothers who are in fact just completely silent japanese mobsters who just dress like the blues brothers never have a line and just kind of hang out and uh break a break a table in one scene they are Mm -hmm. ridiculous they look like like discount james bond henchmen yeah Uh, rj how often do you deal with this (laughs) (laughs) and their true motivations are entirely unknown uh, it feels like it was monetary, right? They were being paid. They were being uh, paid yeah. by 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 O'Connell. They were being paid by Jimmy O'Connell right. to threaten Sailor into not into into I, not switching. And I have a yes. more serious uh, question about that, but I want you to answer Dan's question okay. first. <laughs> um, you know, it's really funny in AEW. Um, we have AEW works with a lot of different companies. They work with a lot of companies in Mexico. They work with New Japan in Japan, obviously. So sometimes when we do pay-per-views like Forbidden Door, there will be people from the New Japan office and the you know to accompany the wrestlers, and they and they are the nicest, sweetest, best people, <laughs> and everyone is so happy to see them that they're doing this and whatever. So this is just so backwards and so insane, it's, and also. It's... Both these Deeply men must be racist. sweating, sweating their balls off. Talk about <laughs> sweaty episodes. There, there is. Oh, I should also mention that whenever uh, the Itos come onto frame, they keep the same music, but it suddenly yeah. becomes, uh, uh, you know, stereotypically right. uh, Asian. Yeah, it, um, a, a, gong, a gong is heard more than once. Yes, there is this wonderful thing when you watch this episode where you go are we commenting on racism or are we just being racist like i can't because they understand it 
with, with you know, Sailor being American, and that's why he's a hero, and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay, so you're aware of this, and then you're using two, two suited Japanese men. Everything is kind of thrown out of whack yeah. by the by the 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 suited Japanese men because their presence it's, is it's, so weird. It's so out of left field. It kind of I don't. It, it feels like a thing from a different episode. It feels like they wanted to just do the like. Well, we want to do an episode about uh, Japanese guys doing karate in suits. Can we just yes. like throw that in here? Yeah. And again, yeah. an excellent lesson on how to make a 40-minute episode. <laughs> and, and these guys really, they really are only in two scenes. And I think one of those scenes is just a picture of them. Yeah. Uh, so, but they, they make a, an impact on there. Um a RJ, lot of, at, by the way, sorry, a lot of photography in this episode too. There's a lot, a lot of analysis of photographs. <laughs> yeah. a lot of analysis of photographs. Uh, and but at a certain by, point, by paparazzi. Go, yeah, yeah. you go. This is this is you, in the middle. You almost forget it's a wrestling episode. Yes, because there's like, so much done with the photography and the apartment building and these dresses and this whole fucking thing. As a, as, and, after they take Dick Butkus back to the scene of the crime, which I'm pretty sure is not a thing you're allowed to do, but it's no. for good television, so we'll <laughs> allow it. They he, he's that happens in the first 15 minutes. He basically disappears, uh, with the exception of what's in the not gorgeous George, but uh, Gentleman Jack. Yes, uh, there is yeah. there is one scene where uh, Matlock goes to interview a wrestler uh, who. Gives him some very funny insults and threats, and is doing the interview while he is uh, doing arm curls. Yeah, a great mid eighties gym scene. Yeah, yeah. The, the The gym has wood paneling. It's called like Al's gym. This gym looks like shit. I loved yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I and and it. Andy is just just baffled by any sort of exercise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This like he might as well be walking onto another planet. Yeah, uh, he's he's like the guy is just doing like normal preacher curls, and Matlock is looking at him like, "All oh, right, wow. I guess it takes all sorts." You know? Yeah, he's not, not even not even lifting anything particularly heavy. He's got like twenty five pound weights on there. Right. And, none yeah. of none of these men are extraordinarily in shape. Yeah, yeah. and he just resents. Any sort of non-functional physical activity. Yeah. Yeah, boy, you know, but with but with all these curls you're doing, you could eat a lot of hot dogs. <laughs> you could really just be putting hot, be putting hot dogs up <laughs> in your face. I just hit my mic. Marty okay. just accidentally preacher curled his mic. <laughs> I got to keep that in the episode now. Uh, uh, I'm going to ask a question very, very carefully so that uh, RJ yes. does not get in trouble with the AEW legal department. Yeah, uh, You've worked with a lot of promoters. How yeah. feasible is it to you, the idea that a uh, promoter might resort to mob tactics in order to keep one of their stars <laughs> oh from, <my> uh, God. <laughs> from, from jumping ship? How feasible is this situation? This is an idea to you. Now, not very feasible. In the maybe from 1988 and earlier, I would say very feasible. Okay, that's Absolute. the answer I was looking for. Oh my god, yes! It's a whole business based on roughing people up, especially back then. You don't know what those contracts were like. You don't know if there was a legal department. 
there was a lot of, you know, these incredible careers, and then you read these interviews and find out they were all done on a handshake deal. <laughs> I always say wrestling is like the mafia run by high school kids. That's what it feels like to me. So to have so sick. like those mafia, and there's always those like, oh, Iron Sheik says Vern Gagne offered me ten grand to break Hulk Hogan's leg. Maybe. You know, it certainly <laughs> sounds good. I feel like Iron Sheik would do that for free. But like... Probably. Um, but yeah, it's always one of those things where you go, it sounds plausible, but also there's just a bunch of people who like lying on grand scales in this business, too. <laughs> That's kind of your job. Yeah. So you're never really sure. You would like to think back in the day that yeah. there was some sort of mafia affiliation. Okay, so th- yeah. so this so this actually seems ridiculous. Costumes aside, this actually seems like a, a plausible thing that could happen, like something you might have to consider in this case. Yeah, back then, if it was like really yeah. scummy and whatever, like sure. I mean, is this what what level is this wrestling association on? I was kind of having trouble picking that. Like, is this an indie circuit? Is this AEW level? Like, well, where where are we? That's a confusing thing. They're on TV. Yeah. Right? Uh, And that arena is huge. Right. So if they sold it out, like, that that would be a major company, I would assume. So, like, like, like a W... Is there a WCW-WWF fight at this point? There's just a WCW at this point. Yes. Well, WCW is not essentially formed. So WCW is, like, a branch of the NWA at the time. So this is before WCW comes into its own... But the NWA and WWF are competing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not competing head-to-head on live TV every week because that model doesn't really exist. But there's a lot of, you know, buildings where, hey, if you run, if if we do a show in your building, you can't let them run a show in your building. Or pay-per-view mm-hmm. companies, there was a whole thing of like, you know, if you run this pay-per-view, you can't run a competitor's pay-per-view 30 days before or 30 days after. So there is a lot of that. I wouldn't necessarily call those mafia tactics, you know. <laughs> uh, they don't involve that many sweaty Italian men. But, yeah, I, I there is a lot of that in 1987. Especially when the, the business is really, really hot. At this point, they're making more money than they ever have. So, of course, that's like a, you know, a big deal. And there was a lot of people jumping from companies, too. A lot of guys mm. showing up. You, you know, Piper had a, a pretty full career before this. And and Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan. Like, those guys came from the AWA. When when WWF, the first WrestleMania and all that stuff, they, they signed basically the best from everywhere else to build a traveling Wilburys, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> a super group. A super group. Yeah. And, and, and actually, it feels like that model hasn't really gone away. That's kind of the AEW model. To a certain extent, going yeah, to, go, I mean, going to New Japan and grabbing those guys, grabbing classic guys from the other uh, yes, promotions. and and you know, AEW also has the the best of of the independents of of guys like Orange Cassidy, who were yeah. not in a major company before this, but also like beloved and uh, Danhausen, who I should not need to mention, um, and then and then newer guys like Hook, who have not wrestled anywhere but AEW, and but are done in a way where he's incredibly successful. He's very popular. So yeah, popular. yes. I And I do feel like AEW is like that best of wrestling, where you have 
I mean, even tonight, there's a there's a Luchador three way. You have people from Japan, and then you have people from Ring of Honor, and so and you have people like you'll have an eighteen year old on the show, and you have a sixty year old on the show. You know, uh, so sick. Yeah. What? Who, who was who was Hook tag teaming with the other day? Was it was it Rob Van Dam? On the show yes. that I would have seen, yeah, hook, yes. hook with Rob Van Dam. That's ex- exactly the example of what you were just saying the other day. Yeah, uh, I want to talk about the uh, the two like big reveals in the courtroom. The two courtroom reveals here. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one courtroom reveal that the eyewitness is lying. Yeah, and the other courtroom reveal is I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go ahead and, and spoil the ending here is that. Uh, Cellular Jack was killed by his manager, Connie Hammond. Uh, and both of these reveals are almost the exact same logic that Elle Woods uses in Legally Blonde <laughs> yeah. to get her client acquitted, uh, especially the final one. Um, and I, I kind of noticed this, and I wonder if this is just a, a, a similar thing here. Michelle, the female attorney, she gets the first reveal. She gets to do the first reveal where... Uh, she points out that the crazed teen is lying uh, mm. because she observes her footsteps of her of her heels, of her high heel shoes, clanging as she climbs up the ladder to the roof. Yeah. Uh, and she says, like, the woman who actually lives in that building seemed pretty pissed about your your heeled shoes. And yes. I bet if we I bet if we called her to the stand, she'd say that she heard that noise at a totally different time than what you said. And prove that you could not have possibly been there to witness the murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the big reveal. And then the uh, the crazed fan says something like, I had to protect Sailor. I love him. Uh, and then she's, I assume, immediately arrested for perjury. Like, right. Because she's the on the stand at that point. should be mega fired. Like, <laughs> yeah. as soon as, like, you got this very clearly meant, like, she can't get through three sentences without crying about how much she loves Sailor Jack. Like, yeah. You didn't Not, think to do any fucking due diligence here? No. And I just love how she's a Craze fan. And, like, Sailor Jack could not be more of, like, a scuzzy human being. Yeah. Yeah. It's not real. No, like, prince in, in shining armor vibes yeah. to Sailor Jack. No. He looks like he's banned from every single bar in, like, Panhandle, <laughs> Florida. I was genuinely surprised when they said that, like, he was the, the John Cena. Like, he was the hero. Right. The ba- I was like, that guy? Yeah. That guy? You would think Dick is the guy. I, I would think that Dick Butkus was, was, the, was the face here. Like, I was yeah. like, that, that guy? That guy looks like he's gonna sell me coke <laughs> in, in between I shifts mean- at Cracker Barrel. I mean, to be fair, that was kind of Hulk Hogan's vibe. Oh, not like, a, not this scuzzy. No, no. no. And, and I was seeing this as like kind of like you were getting a low rent Hulk Hogan. And, like. and, and and Hulk is still in like Hulkamania. I am a real American mode at this. Point. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. Okay. Never mind, Dan. You're right. Yeah, they were going for like Walgreens brand Hulk Hogan, right? Because they yeah. didn't say like he was America. Okay, so they get. So let's get a we guy. We have who, Hulk Hogan at home. I also want to point out. Let's get a guy who looks out, a little like Hulk Hogan. And I, I, I would love to just find this of high res. There's a horrible, ugly poster of him on the wall at one point. Sailor Jack of in Sailor, a Sailor Jack. hat, yeah, yeah. and it's just yes. a. Sh- you could tell they didn't know where to shoot it because just the blue sky is behind him. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking sailor hat, I swear to God. 
He looks like like he's in like Little Orphan Annie, but things have gone way off the rails for yeah. her. There is a real porno quality about him. Actually, really now, now, now that I think about it, I don't know if the timing is right. RJ can correct me. But now that I think about it, that first match, you got a curly-haired, balding, blonde guy with distinct mm-hmm. facial hair versus a big dude in a tight black bodysuit. That's Hulk versus Andre. That's yes. WrestleMania. Right? Yeah. That is almost, that's very evocative. I don't know if the timeline works out there. But that's, uh, that's 85, very... 86, 87. When does this come out? 87? This is 87. So WrestleMania is 87, so it's either and I don't I don't know what the turnaround on these shows are. It seems like something they work on for a very long time. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's right around that time. Yeah, and that that's a very famous match. Like people who didn't watch wrestling yeah. knew about that match. Yeah. So for sure. And you would just know Andre the Giant anyway. You right. Know? Uh, yeah. I mean, it was uh, kind of physically impossible not to. He was in your peripheral vision at all times. The advantage if you of being went a outside, giant. you could kind of see Andre the Giant. All right, so the 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 other big reveal. So after all of the suspects have been proven to have alibis, mm. uh, Andy has this whole moment. Ben Matlock has this whole moment. By the way, he also kind of disappears for a big middle chunk of the show. Well, um, that's also Matlock, though. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, he's, a, it's, he's... it's a supporting cast thing. Yeah, and he saves his knockouts for the courtroom, you know? Right, right. So I did wonder that. I was like, okay, the woman gets the small reveal, right? We let the the, right. the, the lady attorney get the mid-season, the mid-episode reveal. And then Andy's going to come in and get the big one. He gets the coup de gras. He gets the coup de gras. And this is what I mean when I say it's legally blonde-ass logic. Uh, because he's staring, he's doing a Slylock Fox staring at two different photos and seeing spot the differences between mm-hmm. them. Uh, and these are photos of uh, the manager coming in and out of Sailor Jack's apartment. Yeah. Uh, he calls the doctor, the medical examiner, to the stand, asks how the medical examiner determined time of death, and the medical examiner says, oh, it was because of the temperature of the body. Yes. Uh, yeah. Matlock asks, well, what if his temperature was higher before he was killed? Like, what if he had been working out? Or what if he mm-hmm. was in a sauna? Or what if he had a mm-hmm. fever? Right? And the doctor goes, I guess if if he's, you know, if he wasn't at 98.6 beforehand, my calculations could be way off. Right? Yeah. So that's our setup. So there's the setup punchline. We bring in uh, Sailor, Jack's, um, Sailor Jack's manager, Cassie, uh, and Matlock says, "Hey, you know, in this episode, in this photo of you coming in, your hair is curly, and in this photo coming out, your hair is straight." And she yeah. says, "Oh, that's because I was in the sauna." Mm-hmm. If you've uh-huh. ever seen, if you've ever seen <laughs> Legally Blonde, if you've ever seen Legally Blonde, which of course everyone has, it's a classic. Mm-hmm. A huge yeah. part of the defense uh, rests on one woman getting or going and taking a shower and shampooing after a perm which is something you're not supposed to do this yeah. is exactly the defense that l woods presents and even so. better than that to call back this episode of this podcast we're doing it's time for a sweaty andy griffith <laughs> oh god that's him like that's his going Super Saiyan, is he just gets yeah. real damp in a sauna. He yeah. is wearing a gray wool suit in Atlanta. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, we would all be very sweaty. 
but yeah, he's sweaty and he reveals to her on the stand, you just fucked up your own alibi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the court just allows this. Again, I'm not, not docking it for this because it makes for good TV. But the judge doesn't even, Robert Downey Sr. doesn't even do like a, you better be going somewhere with this, Matlock. No, he just kind of does a, all right, man, what's up? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so now he's proven two things. Uh, this woman has admitted that she and Sailor were in the sauna, mm-hmm. which would have elevated the uh, the his body temperature. So when she hit him, it would have looked, you know, the timing would have been different. Uh, and also, oh, by the way, here's a white dress with wine stains on it that I just happen to have, which... Look, I don't know a lot about the American legal system, but you're required to tell the prosecution. You're required to tell people when you have new evidence. If you it, think so. If Ben Matlock is like, hey, man, I have I have a, a, a dress with the murder weapon all over the, it. I stole the witness's clothes like, from, from, from the from dry, dry cleaner. <laughs> I did some like light crime. Yeah. It's crazy that you can just keep making it up. <laughs> I, I mean, it seems like it, like even even Matlock after he accuses her is like, I mean, you didn't really try that hard at this. It was kind of you kind of you guys got lucky. It was kind of a shitty crime. <laughs> you didn't know about the sauna thing. You just kind of hit the guy with a wine bottle and left. And and uh, this is why this is why I think the only reason why uh, District Attorney Julie Marsh gives in is because she's got a crush on Matlock. Because what she should have been doing is we're the state of Georgia. We're gonna get a conviction out of this one way or another. Everything right. you just did is fucking inadmissible. Yeah. Best of luck, asshole. Tell the jury to ignore everything that man just said. Yeah. Yeah, not the best legal system here. <laughs> uh, and that's and that's it. Uh, uh, Annihilator is, uh, of course, acquitted. Uh, mm-hmm. And the final scene is um, the whole gang, including, a da- including ADA Marsh. They're on a little date. They're on a date to go see uh, the Annihilator's last match. He's about to retire. Uh, so this is final match. Uh, they yeah. do the bit with the ropes, and then normally quiet and reserved Ben Matlock is getting there. He's getting excited. Hey, he's, he's fighting dirty. You killed the son of a bitch. RJ, what did you yes. think of this, scene, this last scene? Uh, great, great. Uh, and how rewarding is it to hear Andy Griffith call for the murder of someone, finally, <laughs> after decades of watching him not kill or harm anyone? <laughs> he... He finally reached a bridge too far. Yeah, and on a sunset flip of all moves, too. <laughs> just the lightest pin, and he's he just bloodthirsty. <laughs> Seen I, a lot of evil in this world, but I can't imagine anything worse than that. It is. There's an odd satisfaction in seeing him finally enjoy it. It's nice. It's nice. He's a convert yeah. now. Yeah. After... after uh, Five seasons of the Andy Griffith show of his general vibe just being like, I don't really care what anybody does about anything. Everything yeah. Just hearing Andy Griffith yell, kill the son of a bitch, mm-hmm. feels so weird. Now, it they is, can't it is. Him, they can't have him swear on TV, so they cut off and do the like executive producer thing exactly where you think yeah. he's going to do it. Which is nice. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. It yeah. does feel nice. It is satisfying. It's, I mean, would have been a great half hour episode. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. It's um, I, like they could have 
it's kind of rare to see a like a crime procedural that could be a half hour easily Mm -hmm. like normally there's a lot more like running around and hoops you got to go through and normally like they pretty easily justify an hour just because you have to talk to at least like four suspects individually but this is like yeah man you could have gotten this down to 20 maybe yeah yeah there's there's uh, so little going on uh it's honestly the the way that this show functions this episode functions and i'm assuming the whole show functions is just like cops seem pretty bad at their job they just seem to like arrest the first guy they see yeah and don't really do anything after that i mean that's act that's that makes it one of the most (laughs) accurate television shows ever i would say as far as that that cops essentially don't exist in this like Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy at no point in time inter- he doesn't really go over a police statement he doesn't interview the cops at no. all so, but uh, uh, just immediately knows they're wrong mm-hmm. and dismisses them yeah he's that's what makes him great Yeah, I mean he, why, to, to be fair he's a defense attorney that's kind of his job Yeah, if you're a defense attorney your job is to assume that cops are lying at all times forever right like, that right. should be your your de- your default state, as it should be for many of us. Uh, okay, uh, I I just want to call one quick thing out that kind of drove me nuts, which is like, um, and, and this is just from watching way too many cop shows. Is uh, the annihilator goes past the security guard, is seen getting in an elevator, goes mm. up the elevator, goes into the room, sees the body, touches the body. Cops are there, like at that exact moment. The story of him, like, the apartment was wrecked from, like, a brutal fist fight. So he would have had to do the entire fight scene from They Live within, <laughs> like, a a three-second period. Yeah. Right. Which I was, like, waiting for them to bring up that, like, hey, it was not nearly enough time to kill a man. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in the yeah. amount of time it takes for a, a elevator to go down and back up, essentially, is what happens. Yeah. No. Because he calls the, the security guard calls the cops immediately. We see this happen basically in real time. So about three minutes pass from that great, real quick response time on the Atlanta PD here. Uh, yeah, I love how messy the apartment is after that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there it is. Right. That that is this episode of Matlock. That's the Annihilator. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to do Matlock again. So RJ, thanks for coming on here. <laughs> you <laughs> never know. I mean, yeah, I mean, RJ, I mean. You normally ask it up front. Have you seen a lot of Matlock? Not a, a tremendous amount. Enough to get the gist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen enough to get the gist. Like from this. Yeah. There's nothing. Yeah. There's a lot of dragging going on, as we've seen in this episode. Yeah. There's a lot of like, oh, I got the premise. I can take a nap and then I can wake up for the ending. I can see why it's an old people show. It's yeah. very. Uh... But also the thing, much like, you know, I don't know, Law and Order or something, the courtroom is is the part you want to see. Yeah. 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 I you mean, know, that's, that's his weird monologues. We're, 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 we're there to watch uh, Andy very slowly give us the reveal. Right. Like, we're, just, we're just sitting there edging. We're just edging with Andy Griffith. Yes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Sometimes I say things just so that they'll be the episode title. Oh man. Uh RJ, 
I earlier this week I wrote a bunch of like wrestling sitcom hypothetical questions, but now I kind of feel like an asshole for writing them, so I'm just gonna ask you one. Go ahead. Right, right. Which golden girl would you choose as your tag team partner and why? Uh, I be Arthur. I mean Dorothy. There's no question. Even if we just go by foot size. <laughs> uh, okay. She all right. She has reach, but that wait, is it is it actress or is it character? Well, I both. Said, both. Yeah. Blanche Duvois has a has a, a cruelty to her that I would I think I would want next to me in a fight. There is there is a, a rage within that woman. I I think it's an uncontrollable rage, as if as we've seen many times, and I think Dorothy has the reserve, mm-hmm. you know, to know when not to do something. Right, right. Like Blanche is going to overextend in like the first uh, the first five minutes and exactly. just get annihilated. Right, right. Okay, all right. Yeah, you got that steady presence with Dorothy. Yeah. All right, all right. You talked me into it. I buy that. I don't think Blanche would tag you in either. Right, like. Right, she's she's not gonna tag out. So mm-hmm. Once yeah. once she once she's in the ring, it's not ending till till the three count. So, so you're you're yeah. gonna spend a lot of time hanging out in the turnbuckle. Right. All right. So RJ City, thank you so much for uh, for being on this show with us. This is I great. Hope. I hope this is what people wanted. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's at least what our listeners want. Yeah, I don't think. Which is, baffles us a little bit <laughs> i don't I, in 150 episodes i don't know that we've ever de- delivered what people want from this show so <laughs> why would we start now yeah no enjoy enjoy another obscure offering from breaking <laughs> mayberry uh, rj rj would you like to just promote aew or promote anything that you're doing right no now? at this no. juncture absolutely I mean, not I, mean, I think it's best that I mean, it's, it's, it's what you're literally paid to do and we're not paying you. So I'm, I'm going to ask um, you to, to work in your off time. Yes. <laughs> if you want to see me make the same obscure references to wrestlers faces, Hey W is every Sunday morning at the crack of dawn, youtube.com slash a W. Otherwise there's so much a W going on. There's so much of my stuff going on. Just Google it and figure it out for yourselves. I trust you. The number of our fans that don't know your whole deal is like a guy. So you <laughs> yeah. you got one. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Uh, Works for me. If you like our show, how about you hit us with them ratings and reviews? And uh, tell a friend, because honestly, we're we're not we're not doing any of the promotion stuff anymore. If you want uh extended episodes, you want more time uh of this discussion with RJ and extended episodes of all of our things plus bonus episodes and content hit us up at patreon.com slash breaking mayberry uh and we're enjoying this we love you all thank you very much for being here RJ fuck I fucked that whole ending up that's right well we're gonna stick with it now and you can't edit it out (laughs) yeah no it's been referenced now uh, telling our fans that you love them. I meant well. No, I said I love you all to the fans, and I meant to say that. But then I said thank you for being here, so it's kind of me yeah. saying I love you to RJ, which is a very weird thing to do. Yeah, RJ has not gotten any better. Forever. Yeah, it's not getting better. Now it's, it's not preserved. getting better. It's We're just not sitting in getting it better. I need to bail out of this so hard. We'll see you this all is down. Everything I needed from this episode. <laughs> we'll see you all down at the fishing hole. Goodbye. <laughs>
Ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do